Welcome into the Big Apple Sports Talk Show here on VIC Radio, episode number four. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman with you today talking about the Yankees and the Giants. And there definitely is a lot to talk about. We're going to start with the Yankees, even though their season is over. Eli, news coming out already with Aaron Boone signing a three-year extension, has the option in 2025, the move to bring back the manager that you know has had a solid four-year span with the team record-wise, but has just not got it done in the playoffs. Cashman decides to bring Boone, the former Yankee, back. Yeah, it's the kind of move that you're you're a little bit surprised about, but but deep down you're not. Um, and I feel like a lot of Yankees fans obviously were very very disappointed by the move, just considering the the failure of the Yankees in in terms of the overall sense, right? The overall sense is they didn't win a World Series, and they did have a lot of failures in terms of the little things, in terms of the bullpen moves that weren't made, in terms of the lineup changes and the off days that fans really, really didn't like in terms of just the overall success of the team, even though they won, what, 93 games? Yep. Um, you know, as we've said, I feel like a broken record every time every time we've had the show. Even though they had a 93-game season, they came nowhere close to the expectations that were around them, and they really just didn't perform. Um, but but in terms of Boone, it's it's just so tough. 601 is his career record with the Yankees. 328 and 218, and then you look over to the playoffs, and he's 11, 11 and 11, a 500 winning percentage, and they um, haven't made it past the ALCS in 2019, which was obviously brutal. Yeah, and he, but, and, and to try to cut you off, but just to see with Boone, just adding on to your to uh, to your record thing, 200 win seasons. That's a, that's a lot of wins, and that's a lot of success in, in the overall sense, but. And the, the other way you have to look at it is there really is a good connection between him and the team, especially him and the front office side. They're not going to as much judge the him and the, the player side. And, and that relationship is really, really strong between him and the front office side. And, you know, as we've, as we've discussed, the fact that whoever's going to manage the Yankees is going to be a puppet yeah. for Brian Cashman and this analytical department and everything that they want done. And... Aaron Boone is that person. You know, the experience that he has, and as I said, how close he is with that front office, is makes it, it's just not, not surprising at all that he came back. And Cashman even said in his end-of-the-year press conference, Boone was not the problem. Um, you know, Boone was involved with other people causing the problem, as Cashman put it, um, you know, to the um, lack of success that the Yankees have had. And Cashman said bringing back Boone was never a question in his mind or the front office's mind, which really is a head-scratcher. And yes, Eli brought up the win percentage that Aaron Boone has had, 200-win seasons last year, having that 92-win season. But the talent that Aaron Boone has been given compared to what Joe Girardi had in 2017, Joe Girardi in 2017 was given a Yankees roster that was the very beginning of the Baby Bombers, and they made it to Game 7 of the ALCS. Boone has never made it to a Game 7 of an ALCS, and with the talent that Boone has had, not going to the World Series is such a disappointment. And you look at this year, definitely Aaron Boone's worst year as a manager. The lack of Yankees energy and that want to win, the inconsistency was the biggest part in why the Yankees were just, you know, just so dreadful this season. And I feel like bringing in a new manager would have just changed the atmosphere. Obviously, it would have been a puppet. I feel like the Mets are doing the same thing, maybe. Um, you know, trying to bring in Carlos Beltran as their manager, but Aaron Boone, it's really just what he has done is just underperformed. Regular season, that's one thing. The Yankees were supposed to be good, but the underperformance in the playoffs is just is really the the red flag so far in his career. It definitely does excite me that, and I feel like all Yankees fans though should look in a very positive direction in terms of PJ Pilater being gone. Uh, Marcus Timms is obviously gone. Reggie Willis is gone. And obviously Phil Nevin. That's that's four coaching spots that you get to fill. And I know there has been talk about the Yankees potentially adding to their coaching staff, which, which would be huge. So it is, it is really great to see that they understand the not living up to expectations, especially on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but you, you also just think about how tough is it to go out there and find a new manager that does the things that you want to do 
you know, goes by the organizational norms that you want to do, knows this organization in and out, how hard is it to go out there and find a new manager? And how many times do managers succeed in their first season, first couple of seasons, especially with an organization as strict as the Yankees? It would be so tough for for a Buck Showalter to come in and yeah. live live with this culture that's been built here, right? It would just be so tough to bring in someone new, and that's why I can understand. You know, Mike Schilt wouldn't want to come here. None of the none of the, Carlos Beltran would never. None of the managers would want to. You know, maybe maybe they would, because obviously it's the Yankees, and obviously you're getting paid a whole lot of money. It's not even about if they would come. I think it's more about the Yankees just not wanting someone that would want to have that say and control and that voice and that. The managers, you know, that's the reason Joe Girardi was pushed out. The Yankees did not agree with Girardi. He had too much of a voice. He had too much of experience. And he was not being, you know, heard and did not agree with the front office. And Boone is, you know, going to agree with everything that the Yankees front office wants to do. And as you mentioned, Buck Showalter, a great candidate for being a manager for next season. But, you know, the Yankees would see Buck Showalter almost as a threat because, the front office, Cashman, and especially the Steinbrenner family, they want to have this this say and the control. And you know, you can't blame them in a way, but um, you know, it's their organization. But at the same time, it has shown to hurt the team because the manager that they decided to bring in is Aaron Boone. And if you're going to bring in a puppet, it needs to be a puppet that can control the locker room and connect with the players. And um, Boone has not been able to do that you know, thus far, especially this season. It just goes to show that they have no plan moving forward, the Yankees. You know, it's just tough to see them in, in, in this sense that that what what is there to look forward to when when you have this same manager and and really this same roster, you know, as as we've mentioned on previous episodes, other than like Dare No Day, the roster is gonna be the exact same. They have a decision to make about Anthony Rizzo as well, um, but there's it just feels like a never-ending loop. Yeah, as as a Yankee fan, and you know, Aaron Boone's definitely going to stay, um, you know, as that as that constant for the next few years. If, if they're going to sign him to a three-year deal, um, I don't think a Cashman expects to go to the World Series the next three years. If he does, maybe you know Boone's gone next year. But the way I look at as look at it is. If Boone signed for a three-year deal, Yankees fans and the players are expecting next year to once again compete for a World Series and definitely get further than the wild card round. I look at look at it as if the Yankees don't go to the World Series next year with the roster that they have and the talks of maybe bringing in a guy like Corey Seager in the offseason to replace Glaber Torres at shortstop, if they underperform once again, how can you leave Boone in there as the manager of the Yankees and keep him on this three-year deal. Cashman has to look at it as, yes, this is a three-year deal if Boone can do um, you know, this and that, get to the World Series. If Boone can't get the Yankees to at least maybe a championship series, but um, I would say a World Series going into his fifth year, Boone's got to be gone next year, no doubt. I also feel like Aaron Boone is getting the blame for a lot of this, and it's completely on Brian Cashman in the Yankees' front office. Those are the ones we should be talking about not bringing back. You know, I would love to see a Michael Fishman gone, who's, who's Mr. Head of Analytics um, in the Yankees' front office. I would absolutely love to see him gone or someone in a position like that that really does make all of those behind-the-scenes moves. Because so far, all the moves we've seen are bringing back and kicking out people that, as we said, are the scapegoats. Are, are these people that are really in 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 the public eye um, and that's that's obviously all we've heard about so so some some changes still definitely need to happen and you know as we talk about on the field obviously you you can't expect this team to continue to produce you just can't yeah and you know, the roster as a whole, like Cashman, you know, brought up possibilities of bringing in a shortstop. I mean, just to name a few, Corey Seager, um, you know, Marcus Simeon with that very good year this year with Toronto, depending on what the Mets do with Javi, um, or defensive first option, Andrelton Simmons, who's, you know, a consistent guy at shortstop. Those players come to mind. 
But, you know, away from a shortstop, there's, you know, some other questions. First base, will the Yankees bring back Anthony Rizzo, a guy that came into the Yankees and was a big spark plug at the trade deadline to really push the Yankees in the right direction? Do they bring back the veteran Brett Gardner? And, you know, what do they do in center field? Is Aaron Hicks that guy? And looking at all those moves, I believe that the Yankees have to bring in a shortstop. Glaber Torres is just not the option. Um, but at the same time, if it comes down to Anthony Rizzo or shortstop, what the Yankees have on their roster right now is the ability to maybe move over a guy like Gio Urshela to play shortstop, and they have the ability to you know move guys over to play first base. We know what DJ LeMay, uh, what DJ LeMahieu can do. Um, the option of you know seeing what Luke Voigt does um, if you know that that whole complicated situation. You know if, if Luke Voigt, um, I'm, I'm not sure Eli does if. If Luke Joy, Luke Voigt even has the choice of playing um, next year with the Yankees depending it's, on his contract, he doesn't have a choice. It's um, um, why am I spacing out on the name? So, so he's gonna be on the opening day. He's gonna be on the roster unless the Yankees trade him. It's not completely him. set. He it's qualifying offer. Okay, so the Yankees would have to trade Luke Voigt for. As of now, he can he can appeal, but in all likelihood, he will be on the roster. He, he will be on the spot. So, so Luke Voigt can play first base. Arbitration eligible. That's, Got it. That's the term. And then, you know, going to the outfield, you look at Aaron Hicks um, in center field, definitely getting up there in age, and he's on a big contract. Is, is, is Aaron Hicks the everyday center fielder? I really don't know. And then you also look at the outfield already. Like, if you play Aaron Hicks, then you're DHing Gallo or Stanton. Because Gallo's on the roster next year. So there's a lot of questions that Cashman has to figure out. Maybe in maybe the biggest offseason of, of his career. And with Aaron Hicks, just all the injuries, you know, how much confidence does one have running him out there as your opening day center fielder? Not only has he had so many injuries, but he's really failed to produce in his time as a Yankee. As a Yankee he's been an average center fielder. I know he hit, he's like a 220 career hitter. You know, Aaron Hicks isn't an insanely good ball player. So I feel like if the Yankees really, really do want to make changes, center field. Center field. Do we really want Brett Gardner? Do we really want Aaron Hicks? But can, but what I'm saying is maybe they can, you know, move Judge to center, have Stanton and left, and then Gallo and right. Um, but that wouldn't be their everyday outfield is, you know, you can't rely on Stanton and Judge and Gallo to all play full seasons. Uh, but that's the same thing with Hicks. So you have to decide with, you know, your depth out there. Um, but, you know, Hicks is maybe a guy that, that they could put in as a trade piece. The injuries, and yeah, as Eli mentioned, he's a two thirty three career hitter. And his arm's gotten worse, his fielding's gotten worse. Um, I, I just don't see Aaron Hicks as the guy. Looking at Brett Gardner, I've been a big fan of Brett Gardner his whole entire career. And I see it as if Brett Gardner is willing to come back next year and... Um, he's told that he's not going to be an everyday guy. He's going to be more of that leader in the locker room. I want Brett Gardner back. He was a timely hitter this year. He came up in big spots. Um, you look at some of the walk-offs he had in that Mariners game. He had some, you know, he had clutch hits. He did not have a, a a good statistical season, but when the Yankees needed Brett Gardner, he came up in big spots. And just to have a guy from that 2009 World Series team, the last time the Yankees had success, leaving Brett Gardner there to me, is um, something that Cashman should get done because I don't want to see Brett Gardner walk. I agree that you don't want to see him walk, but I do... I'm, I'm just very fed up with Gardner, honestly, in a sense. And I've always been a huge, huge Gardner fan. And I definitely agree about that veteran presence, but it's just so tough to keep him on the roster when, yes, he has had the clutch hits, and he hasn't been, he hasn't been a horrible especially not nearly as bad as Yankees fans have made and, him out to And me. how often is Brett Gardner even hurt, too? He, 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 he plays. Like when, when he's asked to play, Brett Gardner's on the field. That's very true, but is it really worth the roster spot? Well, then, like, you'd have to look at who you're going to give the roster spot to because if you just give Brett Gardner, okay, one-year deal, you know, $2 million, or, you know, right around there, you give him $1.5, um, you know, to, to Brett Gardner to be back, he's, you know, in my opinion a nice guy to have on the bench. You put him on the bench with, you know, Tyler Wade, um, guys like that. You know, he's definitely getting up there in age, 38 years old, but 
He's someone that is reliable for the Yankees, and you need that leadership, especially when Aaron Boone's your manager. At the same time, just having that locker room presence and Garner line him up with Judge as one of the, the captains of the Yankees, um, I just see that it will do more benefit if Gardner stays. He's not going to be that everyday guy. He's not going to, you know, if he knows that he's not going to play and that he's going to be more of a, a role player for the, the Yankees, come off the bench once in a while, get a few starts here and there, um, that's that's fine by me, looking at it from a fan perspective. And I definitely agree with that. But looking, but that's how, that's what it was supposed to be this past year. That's kind of how he was, the role that he was supposed to play. And... Giancarlo wound up being a full-time DH. Yeah. and But that's not on Gardner. A lot. That's not on Gardner, but if also in terms of the leadership and just in terms of Gardner in general, one thing I don't like is that I feel like he's just so binded to the Yankees that in June when he was struggling so much and Greg Allen was having so much success, if he's not Brett Gardner, if he doesn't win that, doesn't have that 2009 World Series championship under his belt, is Greg Allen our center fielder, our fourth outfielder for the rest of the season? Greg Allen was good, but at the same exact time, there were times that people might not know this. I didn't like Brett Garner in the uh, uh, Greg Allen in the outfield. There were times where Greg Allen would not hustle in the outfield, and he would not take that extra step or that extra the that extra throw or dive that extra inch to make a play. Greg Allen as a fielder annoyed the heck out of me, and that's something that Brett Garner, as a fielder too, he's so reliable in the outfield. Brett Garner played center field a good amount this year, played a lot of left field. Yeah, he he did bat two twenty two, but you know Brett it's not Garner. That bad. It's not bad at all. And, and he used to be a guy, and he hit ten home runs. He used to be a guy that um, would get you know close to 500, 600 at bats. So he was two hundred less at bats than he usually has this year. So he didn't play as much. A guy that bats two twenty two comes off the bench, has good contact, and he works at bats. Like how often does Brett Gardner go out with a you know three pitch at bat? He he works the count. He gets to full counts um, more often than not. It is at bats. Speed was also something very, very much lacking on the Yankees roster this year. You yeah. know, you had you had him and Wade usually off the bench. That's it. I don't know. I don't know exactly no what, speed, what yeah. the stolen bases numbers were for the Yankees, but I'm sure they were abysmal. That's that's also back to the an- analytics department. Right. What, what they're planning on, you know, doing with the roster. They're they've shown that they're big on you know power, home runs, but you look at every team in the playoffs right now. The Yankees just didn't have that guy always getting those timely hits and hitting for contact, just putting the ball in play. Striking out way too much is what the Yankees have been doing. And, you know, also, you look at the Yankees as a whole, something that I would say as a positive is guys underperform this year. So, you know, we we hope and I expect that DJ LeMay, who's not going to bat 260 again next year, he's a career 300 hitter. The Yankees just... You know everything that went wrong this year for the Yankees that could go wrong, it went wrong. Guys underperformed. Glaber did not play. You know how everyone expected. So when expectations and things go down, a lot of players slumped. I expect some of those guys that are back next year, especially DJ LeMahieu, to be that leadoff hitter that could bat 300. And even though Glaber's not back, um, you know next year we saw what Glaber did in in I think it was 2018. Glaber almost hit 40 home runs. So you know there are there are things to look at that it was. You could say, was it more of a down year? Because these aren't the the tendencies of these players for their whole career. It did give me confidence, though, in the press conference that Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman did say they would go ahead and be looking for a shortstop. I saw a really funny, uh, funny like stat today. Fangraphs um, before the season projected um, uh, Glaber Torres forty four home runs and a nine hundred OPS. For this season, that's what that's what he as a player was projected to do, and I'm sure DJ was projected to hit at least 295, considering how great of a season he had in 2020 and 2019. And you just you just like wonder what the problem could be, what leads to a guy going from 40 plus home runs. And you know a two seventy five average in in Torres, and then Lemayhu who had twenty home runs in a sixty game season and hit three thirty. To he hit less home runs. He hit three sixty four. DJ three sixty four. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, DJ had a 
crazy. He's hitting, what, 265? And he had 10 home runs all season, too. Yeah, and Glaber goes from, you know, just to name it off, 2018-2019, 38 and 24 home runs. He batted 270 in both of those seasons, almost 280 in 2019. And then in the shortened 2020 season, he hit three home runs and batted 240. And this past season, batted just under 260 with nine home runs. So something happened to Glaber Torres. If it was, you know, maybe the juiced baseballs in 2019, I don't know what happened to Glaber Torres, but it's not often you see a guy that's young go from 2019 to 2018 to, you know, from 2018 to 2019 all the way to 2020 and have this bad of a decline. That usually happens to guys that are getting up there in age. Glaber's only, you know, he should be going into his prime right now. He's yeah. 22 years old. Unbelievable. So you just you just sit and you shrug your shoulders about about everything. The, the pitch it was, it's kind of funny also that the pitching was supposed to be bad, and the offense was supposed to be the best in the league, and then it was almost the exact opposite. Their team ERA was like something and our three pitching, seven something. It was pretty good. And our pitching was hurt. We didn't <laughs> exactly. have Sevy for the whole season. And we didn't have Corey Kluber for, you know, the majority of the season either. Two of our, that's our number two and three pitcher. And the only reason our pitching was, you know, better than expected was because Montgomery had a solid season and Nestor Cortez came out of nowhere and pitched very well when he was called upon. Absolutely. And Jameson Tyone, too. I wonder, I wonder how he fits into the Yankees' future. Well, he's having surgery. Sir, yeah. I think they said he's gonna be ready. Yeah, yeah. Early next five season. Five months. Well, Cashman kept saying they said five months, but you know they said somewhere in the period of between spring training. Training. And yeah. He, the he, he's started. probably not gonna pitch in spring training though. He's he's still an option though, and he, he's still still a very solid pitcher. But do the Yankees need another pitcher? Because it does it does you know the difference between Garrett Cole as your number one and. Corey Kluber, Jordan Montgomery is your number two. That's a big, big drop off. No, um, no, no. The Yankees have to bring in. I, I, I think they almost know that they have to bring in uh, OK Arm as a number two. I feel like you have to bring him somewhere close to an ace. Yeah, like not, not obviously. You know, Garrett Cole paying this load of money, but when no, we look close, at roster, <laughs> I, I like. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Stroman fan. I've always been a very big. Stroman oh yeah, fan. love Stroman, and, and he also has that moxie on, on, on the mound. Exactly. But the Yankees are bringing up shortstop as a need. I don't want them to spend all this money on shortstop because, first of all, Cashman even said, and I'm not sure if it's out yet, how much money he knows that the Steinbrenner family is going to give him to spend um, this offseason. I think the Yankees can only spend uh, you know, just under $20 million this year if they don't want to go over the luxury tax. So if you're looking at needs for the Yankees, I think bringing in a number two arm is more important than bringing in a shortstop because – uh, you know, if they don't bring in a number two arm, then it becomes Montgomery as your number two arm. If you don't bring in a shortstop, you could put Gio Urshela at, at shortstop. Or you know, we saw what um, Velasquez was able to do this year. There's there's guys that can come in and fill that role. Or there's cheaper shortstops. You don't have to pay all this money. That you know, Marcus Simeon's going to want so much money. Um, Corey Seager as well. Bringing in a number two arm would be more beneficial for the Yankees. Gar- it, it can't be Garrett Cole and then a fall-off to Montgomery, um, a Severino coming back, and then hoping that Nestor Cortez pitches like that again. Absolutely. And any Yankee fan that I think wants a Trevor Story or, or a Corey Seager or any of these guys is just out of their mind, in a sense. Especially, especially with Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza coming up, who are two of the top 50 prospects in baseball. Um, and you definitely have, have room to experiment there. And Velasquez, as we saw. And just, just that's Velasquez is also an example. I also hate, just hate how undervalued, you know, guys like him who are just an average shortstop. Yeah. An average, you know, those average middle infielders. One of my, my favorite examples is forever the Orioles. It was J.J. Hardy and Brian Roberts. Yeah. And they were just like, no one cared about them. No one ever talked about them, partially because they were on the Orioles. But J.J. Hardy had, like, three straight 25-25 seasons. Brian Roberts was one of the best defensive second basemen of all time. Just how undervalued they are. You cannot, cannot pay all this money for for a Corey Seager. Can't. You just can't. And even, just not even 
anywhere near worth it. Nowhere near worth it in terms of the player value. And why does it seem like the Yankees are bringing in guys, it's like boom or bust. Bring in some consistent exactly. guys that are going to bat. Like, if a guy is a consistent 260 hitter, he's a consistent 260 hitter. Two, 260, 270. And, you know, one guy that comes to mind that, that I want the Yankees to bring in really bad if they have to DH Stanton, a guy like Starling Marte. Starling Marte is an outfielder that has speed. He hits for average, hits for power. He's a consistent outfielder who, especially, as I mentioned, hits for average. No one in the Yankees lineup this year batted 300. We're talking about how you know good Aaron Judge was, and yes, he had a great year, but your best hitter can't be batting 280 if you want to go win a World Series. You need at least, you know, it can't be 280 and then all the way down to 270 to stand, and then, you know, it just drops off with all these 220 hitters. If you're going to have 280 with Judge, then it needs to be multiple 280 hitters, where you got to go out and get a 300 hitter. And, uh, you know, I, I know Eli's pulling up the Starling Marte stats right now. Um, three, 310. He batted this, you know, this past season. A 300 hitter would do wonders for the Yankees. Having a guy in the lineup that is, you know, at worst going to go one for three, one for four in a um, everyday contest. He's a career 289 hitter, and he's been in the league since 2012. He's he's a you know we talk about that veteran. Starlin Marte may not be around the block as much as Brett Gardner has. Yeah. That's a lot of big league time. Two eighty nine, and if they that's if, that's a lot. <laughs> and if they could bring in Starling Marte and they can't move on from Aaron Hicks, then you might have to let go of Brett Gardner in that case. If you could bring in Marte as the veteran presence, but in a world that I want to see, I want to bring in Marte, get rid of Hicks because Hicks's contract, you know, there's no point of paying a guy ten million a year for you know what Hicks brings to the table, and then you know bring back Gardner on a short contract, bring in the number two pitcher, bring in Marte. Bring in a number two pitcher, get rid of Hicks, and then you know what's left there is a catcher and a shortstop. Um, catcher and shortstop, you know, they could see what they want to do with Sanchez. I I, I think they're going to move on. Some things here on online are saying bringing in a guy like Jan Gomes, but how much better is you know Jan Gomes than Gary Sanchez? I feel like the the catcher position in baseball these days, you just need a Jan Gomes. You just need a one guy, it was um, it was the Field of Dreams game, and Danny Melnick with the with the White Sox. I absolutely loved him. Um, he was just like one of those one of those backup catchers that that just so solid, just plays the game the right way. You know, hits the ball, hits what two sixty. You know, there's there's very few catchers in this game in the history of baseball that are going to hit anywhere close to 280. You know, Sal Salvador Perez, his season this year was unheard of for catchers. It's just such a tough position. All you need is average, and I would absolutely love to bring in a guy like Jan Gomes, a guy like Drew Butera, who's been a backup, who's been around the block. Even even bringing in a guy like Drew Butera someone experienced to back up Sanchez or rotate on and off with Sanchez because even though Gary Sanchez gets so much hate I really feel like there's a lot worse that could that could be happening there's a, a lot worse that could be going on and is he really the worst option like I'm I mean I would love to move on from him but is it really necessary I, I, you know, I saw the Jan Gomes thing, and I looked up Jan Gomes, 220 hitter this past season, and then yes, 270 and 280 the seasons before, but he hit four and nine home runs. Gary Sanchez gets, you know, does not have the best reputation, and people don't like Gary Sanchez, but yeah, he batted 204, but he hit 23 bombs, and the you know two years before 232 hit 34 bombs. Cashman even said Gary Sanchez is one of the premier power hitting catchers in baseball. He is. And there's not you know that many great catchers. Gary Sanchez just gets such a bad rap. And I and you know, I understand why for his laziness at catcher behind the plate, but defensively he's gotten better. He's gotten better, and you can't be too picky as a catcher. You you're, you're not gonna get a JT Real Muto. You know, Gary Sanchez is is a guy that I would not mind the Yankees bringing back next year as a catcher with someone that they can platoon him with better than Higashioka. 
204, 23 home runs, not great. But when you hit 23 bombs, having the power hitting in the lineup, and then if you bring in the average hitters like Starling Marte, the Yankees can build you know the roster and, and balance it out. But I don't want you know Jan Gomes, an, an older catcher. He you know he bats definitely higher than Gary Sanchez, but eight home runs, not a guy that has a lot of RBIs either. He had a really actually bad last two years. He had 35 RBIs. He does not actually. He's 416 career runs runs batted in, and he's been playing since 2012. Gary Sanchez has been playing since 2015, has 340 runs batted in. So that right there says enough to me. Do you know who I really miss? Austin Romine. Yeah. Imagine, Romine was good. Imagine if we could, you know, pair him with with Sanchez or even Higgy. He was always a guy that was like right on the brink of being a big league starting catcher. But he came in at the wrong time because that's Posada. right when the, the Posada, but then also when he was with Gary for I think the very end of his time with the Yankees, Gary was playing well. Gary's first two years he batted he two ninety nine and two seventy eight. You know, so Gary was Gary was killing it. It was time to move on from Romine. But what people forget about Romine is when he came in the lineup, he was a guy that, you know, hit the ball well. And he was he was a good catcher too. He was a he was a good backup for the Yankees. And the Yankees have to find that guy because it cannot be Higashioka. I'm done with people saying that Higashioka is you know, Gary's uh, is Garrett Cole's like you know big helper behind the plate because I have not seen the difference. We saw it in the wild card game. Garrett Cole still got shelled with Higgy behind the plate. There's just so many options. I was looking at a list of just random MLB catchers. You know, Alejandro Kirk, Jorge Alfaro, Pedro Severino, Danny Jansen. Jansen and Kirk are both on on the Blue Jays. You know, even a guy like Tom Murphy or or Wilson Ramos has always been. A very very strong player offensively and defensively. It's you know the the Yankees got to make some decisions this upcoming offseason and build this roster because you know I I think we both agree they they, they got to go to a World Series next year with this roster. So we're gonna take a quick break talking about the Yankees here on the Big Apple Sports Talk Show. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman for VIC Radio. When we're back, we're talking about the New York Giants that have struggled so much this season. We'll be right back. Hey besties, if you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio, or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding healthcare. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow icgenerationaction on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? IC Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. Welcome back into the Big Apple Sports Talk Show here on VIC Radio. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman with you now talking about the New York football giants. Are we excited to talk about the G-Men you know, it's just a frustrating time to be a New York Giants fan. One and five after two horrific losses, forty-four to twenty on the road against Dallas, and then at home, thirty-eight to eleven against the Los Angeles Rams on a day where the Giants were honoring the ten-year anniversary of the Super Bowl team back in twenty eleven, and now the chance to play the Carolina Panthers at home. It, it, it you look at this game and you already see Eli the injuries. Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, and the young spark plug Darius Tony all out for this contest. What can you do? That's that's just you just 
what can you do? You, you, you know, and the answer to that, I think, is make the most out of Devontae Booker yeah. getting this opportunity. Make the most out of Kadarius Toney getting these opportunities. Evan Ingram, even. Elijah Penny. These guys who, who are going to be young and going to be the future. Daniel Jones, too. Make the most out of this opportunity. At this point in the season, at this point, you know, with the Giants, I really, what are we expecting? Yeah. Four wins? So Less, maybe. Less. So, so go out there and prove, Daniel Jones, prove that you can be my starting quarterback for the future. Devontae Booker, go out there and prove that you can compete with Saquon Barkley. And that when it went at this point, you know, you say when he goes down with an injury, that you can be my guy to go to go put up numbers. Elijah Penny and and the defense as well. You know, I want to have confidence that that these guys are, are gonna turn it around and and Jabril Peppers who who we've all been very, very disappointed in this season and, and Leonard Williams and all these guys. Bradbury specifically has been very, very disappointing. It feels like he's just getting dusted every single play. Um, these guys need to prove that they can stick on this roster uh, and that Giants fans can have faith in them for years to come because right now the faith in this New York Giants organization is minimal. So when you look at Daniel Jones, and I, I like your point about everyone proving you know, what they can be for the Giants. Wayne Gallman proved it last year that he can be a starting running back in the NFL the problem with Daniel Jones being able to prove this stuff is when you don't have your number one receiver, you don't have your number two option in Kadarius Toney, and you don't have Saquon Barkley, your number one running back and also a big pass catcher, it makes it so much harder on Daniel Jones to prove what he can do, especially with an offensive line that lost their two best offensive linemen this year. Nick Gates out for the year, and Andrew Thomas is now in the IR about to miss another game. Who He, he has been such a bright spot um, this season, so it makes it so much harder on Daniel Jones. And you look at that last game against the Rams, allowing 38 points. The the Giants just looked so bad. They were in that game for a little bit. That's what it always is. The Giants have a good first few drives. Leonard Williams gets you know um, one and a half sacks in the in the first three four drives of that game. Um, but the Giants don't hit on those opportunities. They can't convert in the red zone. The 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 offense is just. You know, not there without um, Saquon Barkley or Kenny Galladay after that Saints week when they, you know, when the game looked so good and the Giants looked so promising. Since then, it's just been dead. And when the defense is on the field for so long, dropping interceptions. The amount of times I've seen RDBs drop interceptions to change the complexion of games. Bradbury and Adoree Jackson, you know, two corners that was supposed to be so good for the Giants this year. Bradbury last year coming into you know the realm as maybe a top five corner and Adoree Jackson, a strong number two corner. It has just been brutal watching them play this season. Everything that's going wrong with the Giants is, you know, everything that could go wrong is going wrong for for uh, Big Blue. Absolutely. And and we've discussed that it has been nice to see Daniel Jones. Um, he has played very, very well. And, you know, he is beginning beginning to prove himself. But I, I almost say it doesn't matter what receivers you have, what you have to work with. Um, that's that's on you to make make your make those around you good. Simply put. And I feel like not only is it on hit on Daniel Jones to uh, on the field, you know, stand up and, and take advantage of this opportunity but off the field. That's one thing I've been very, very disappointed about with Daniel Jones throughout his career in New York. I'm a very big believer in the leadership aspect and the off-the-field aspect. And he's not really a guy who we see in, in these leadership kind of roles, it feels like. Well, two things that I, I will say about that. First thing about Daniel Jones being able to play well and making the people around him better a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL can do that. The Patrick Mahomeses, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, the Josh Allens, the Lamar Jacksons. But we know Daniel Jones is not a top guy. We know that he's a middle-of-the-pack, at-best quarterback, maybe a bit better. And when you're playing with a depleted offensive line and just a really bad team, 
Daniel Jones, we know if he's going to be successful in his career, he needs that help. The Giants were finally building around him. You know, I, I can't expect Daniel Jones to throw for 400 yards like he did against the Saints and throw for two touchdowns and no interceptions without Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley. Every team has their number one guy. And, you know, Daniel Jones doesn't. Look at every number one quarterback in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has his Devontae Adams. Pat Mahomes has his Tyree Kill. Tom Brady has his, you know, uh, platoon of weapons. Every quarterback has their guy. Baker Mayfield has Odell and Jarvis Landry. Daniel Jones right now has Sterling Shepard. So that is one thing about Daniel Jones where, you know, these next few games, everyone can't overreact too much because I look at what he was able to do with the roster that the Giants built around him, and that was good things, finally. Because last year, the Giants had no weapons, and Daniel Jones was so poor. The Giants were bottom in the league in wide receiver separation. And then off the field, yes, I will agree with you on his leadership aspect, but he has done some bright things. He has you know, brought his players out to um, North Carolina to the Duke facilities to throw. He's built bonds here and there. He's not as vocal as some other quarterbacks, but he does things a lot better behind the scenes, and you know, the Giants players respect him. So Daniel Jones has been the bright spot for the Giants in a 1-5 in season when everyone thought that Jones would be the problem, in my eyes. I agree, but it's and especially in terms of the leadership aspect. You know, he is he he is making strides and he is he is getting up there, especially for as we say, you know, an average mid tier quarterback. Um, one stat that stands out to me: he has four touchdowns on the season, including two in one game. That is not a lot. Four interceptions as well. Three, obviously. Um, in the last game, well, but but stats. But you look at all the interceptions: one against the Saints on the Hail Mary, so cut that one off. That's three, and then the one of them against the Rams, Sterling Shepard fell down. So, you know, th- there's there's not a stat that's going to prove that, but just to d- defend Daniel Jones, really only two interceptions, and then you know this this Rams game, three interceptions, yes, but you know, really two of them, to be honest with you, Eli, late in the game trying to push the ball down the field when you're down by that much, thirty-one to three at one point you got to find some kind of offense. So, you know, I think Daniel Jones, four touchdowns, yeah, not a lot, but has not turned over the ball too much. I'm not going to look at this four-touchdown, four-interception thing, which everyone that's not a Giants fan will look at and, you know, um, give a bad rap towards Daniel Jones, rep two. But the Giants get into the red zone, and yes, a lot of it is on Daniel Jones, but, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it. The play calling, I feel that Jones has done enough so far to show me that that he can lead a team at quarterback it was very nice to see his deep ball um that's something that you know we've both agreed is a a major strong suit of his that he just hasn't had the opportunity to throw but in this rams game just felt like it was irrelevant because no receivers were getting any separation and and there was just nothing nothing you can really do about it but um i do like that jason garrett and Joe Judge, they're they're making adjustments um, with with what they have, and they are trying to do their best to go out and experiment. And as I said, you know, seeing what you have on this team and what is going to be the future of this franchise, which is just such a question mark. Um, you know, it it feels like we compare the Giants and the Yankees so much just because of the roller coaster that they put us through. Yeah, but. But you wonder what the future is for the New York Football Giants. And you know, before we get to that point, I want to just bring one more thing up about Daniel Jones. Going back to that Saints game, Daniel Jones had never thrown for 300 yards under Jason Garrett before that game. And a big part of it is when you look at Daniel Jones with Pat Shermer in his rookie season, yes, Daniel Jones fumbled the ball a lot, but he threw 24 touchdowns because Pat Shermer let Jones throw the ball downfield. Jason Garrett's offense is so basic and so boring and so easy for defenses to, you know, understand and, you know, pick apart. And Jones did that. He threw for 402 yards without Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. I think a big part of why Jones has had so much trouble in the statistical categories with touchdowns and yards is Jason Garrett's offense is just not built for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is not you know, a check down type guy. Daniel Jones is talented. Work him out of the pocket and let him throw downfield and take those risks. He has the arm. And, you know, they did it in that Saints game. They tried to do it a little bit in the Cowboys game. 
before um, Daniel Jones got hurt. And then in this Rams game, he had no weapons to really throw the ball downfield. You can't throw you know Sterling Shepard in one-on-one coverage. But with when Kenny Galladay is there and Daniel Jones has his weapons, you know, the, this Giants team really was not that bad. And you know I, I know I, I came into the show, we were both saying the Giants are just terrible. But you look at their first four games when they were fully healthy on the offensive side, they were in every game, and then they beat the Saints on the road. And then in that Cowboys game, it was 10-10 and a half when they were healthy. And then, you know, everything's gone downhill since then. So I'm just trying to look at it in a positive light when the team is healthy and Daniel Jones has his weapons. It's not as bad as I think the stats and, and, and the uh, and the record show right now. That's that's definitely fair. Um, and you know, the stats the stats do tell a different story than maybe what, what the eyes tell you. And also... Evan Ingram, John Ross, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton are all questionable, too, for this week. And I, I did see, I, I did see. It looks like Ingram's not going to play. Well, Ingram at, at this point is just a you, just, he was disappointment. Just bust. And and you know, just such a big bust. He was was he a first? Or yeah, he was first, first round, late first round. And Kyle Rudolph can't run either. Kyle, Kyle Rudolph oh, yeah. has been awful, and you know Sterling Shepard has been. The Giants' most consistent receiver. He's on, you know, he's on the field. When he's on the field, he's good. And, but you know, he's not always on the field. He's is. I, I think you said he's questionable again. Yeah. Same with Slayton, things like that. But um, you know, let's look at another bright spot before we get into you know some more rant talk. Darius Tony, three receptions, thirty six yards when he was in the game for that first drive. That all came in the first drive for for Darius Tony, juking left and right. Darius Tony is. You know he is special. When 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 the Giants get Kadarius Tony back at full strength, and you know he's gonna be he's gonna have a future in this league. He reminds me a lot of Odell Beckham Jr. with that little you know the little swagger, um, not as much drama, but he has that fire to him, and I and I love that having that guy on on the field. A lot of people didn't like Odell, but the Giants need something like that. They need that little spark plug, something to to rile them up because everyone is just so you know. Like, you can't see my facial expression right now, but it's so, like, ugh. Like, yeah. just no, no like, unique style. Like, Kadarius Tony brings that to the table. And I'm reading an article now from uh, from Bleacher Report about how much trade value is is truly on the Giants. Because with, with Tony and with Ingram and with Jabril Peppers, um, these, and James Bradbury, too, have very, very, very high trade values. Yeah. And they are on a team, Logan Ryan too, you know, I'm sure Elijah Penny can, can find a home that'll treat him much better than the Giants. And do you think that that could be a potential direction that they go in? I don't... Because you could, you could really, really sell for your future, you know? We've seen teams do it do it a lot. I know, I know the Browns over the last few years have... Have just been a but you like like they they have two picks in every round for the next two drafts. How many times have we done that though? We've we've traded the last few years. Besides last year, we traded traded at the trade deadline, traded away snacks, traded away Jenkins. We have two first rounders this year. I just feel like the Giants are too talented to just you know throw everything away, and they have guys under contract. It's not like you know oh Leonard Williams and Logan Ryan are free agents next year let's just let them go now all these guys are under contract James Bradbury has two more years Adoree Jackson has three more years Leonard Williams has years to come Logan Ryan has years to come you know the only guy that I would see getting rid of as a fit is Jabril Peppers because he's a free agent next year or um, you know or maybe there's a fifth year option the only guys I see letting go of as a smart decision are you know Jabril Peppers as one because of his contract and then you know seeing what you can give away um Trying to look on offense, seeing what you can give away, maybe for, you know, look for look for things about Evan Ingram as well. See what the market is for him. Um, same with Kyle Rudolph, and you know, it, it's really sad to say, but um, I think Sterling Shepard is he's signed a four-year deal. He's one more year after this year, so those guys, you know, even Sterling Shepard to, to to look at in the market, but. I don't want the Giants to give away their their big guys, their their big dogs on um on defense that they've signed so recently for for so much money. I I just understand playing the market. Um, you know, I feel like Shepard, it would be it would be so hard, maybe impossible, to get the right deal to move away with away from him. But if the right deal is there, heck, I'm I'm in for it. Honestly, uh, with all of these guys, every single guy on this roster. 
um, if you can find the right deal, I'm okay with letting them go because I can't look at this roster, even when 100% healthy, and and tell you that this is a team I have faith in winning a Super Bowl anytime in the future. But I feel like that at the same time they're they're missing just like some small pieces here and there. And I look at the offense as a whole. Daniel Jones is, in my opinion, good enough with the pieces around him to be successful. They have the number one receiver. They have the number one running back. But what 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 hurts them is the offensive line, and that's just been you know the the. The backlash about Dave Gettleman because he said he would change that and he is not. So the offense is good besides this one small thing. Same with the defense. The secondary is actually much better than we've talked about with James Bradbury. They give the our our defensive line gives quarterbacks so much time. So much time. And we signed Leonard Williams to be a pass rusher. The Giants pass rush is is brutal. Every Super Bowl team has a a pass rusher. So let's look at every Super Bowl team. They have a number one corner. The Giants have that. They have a number one receiver and a number one and a good running back. The, the Giants have those things. They have a quarterback that is, you know, here and there that I, I think is, is good enough. What they're lacking is the good enough offensive line, at, at least middle of the pack, not bottom of the pack where they are right now. And then on defense, you need a fierce defensive line to win games. Our, our, our number one pass rusher cannot be Azizi Ojolari who is a second rounder that is two sacks. It, it, it really can't be. It's really just disgusting to look at this this defensive line that has just done nothing when it comes to pass rush this whole season. And I definitely, I, I very much agree. But the thing is, it's not it's not as easy as pie to, to go out and get these things. It's not like, like baseball where you need a middle infielder, you have a shortstop. It's not, baseman. it's not. So, so we just listed offensive line, defensive line, Potential help in the secondary. That's a lot of guys. There's a lot not of guys even potential, on the side of the football field. Not even potential help in the secondary. The two, it's funny because the two things that Dave Gettleman said that he would work on when he came here was the was up front offensive line and, 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 and defensive line. The offensive line is awful, and it's also so you know hurt. And the defensive right. line too. You know he he put the money in to bring in Nate Solder. Look how bad Nate Solder's been. He's brought in the money to bring in Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams is an interior pass rusher that we paid as a top four defensive lineman who can't get after the quarterback. And it's the same thing with the Yankees. We're trying to pick out a problem with the Giants. When you're trying to pick out a problem, I you know on the roster I can't really pick anything out. These guys are not playing well. But it's like how these guys are good football players before they come to the Giants. And it's if they trade these guys away, you know who are the Giants even going to bring in at, at that point to get better? Because they've been gone, they've been bad for so long that I think like they have to have some stability with a roster. Because there's so many changes year in and year out. I don't want them to see to make too many moves at, at, at the trade deadline. The only move that I want them want to see them make um, this off season is probably at the GM. Because and you know the offensive coordinator, you kind of have to leave Joe Judge because. If you take away Joe Judge, then once again, it's a new regime and, and just a new rebuild. And I, I feel like the players have voiced a lot of confidence yeah. in Judge, too. Like, the, the players really like him, and that's why I think he he definitely should be staying. But, yeah, you know, we, we sound like a broker, broken record saying it, but when you have this team that's underperforming and, and just not clicking, it's it comes from the top. And, and that's where, truthfully, the changes do need to be made. And the Giants as a whole, too, every year of the last few years, there's been no, there's no, no stability, as I mentioned. New head coaches, new GMs. And I said on Twitter about Joe Judge that you know he has the same record as Pat Shermer. He just speaks better, and maybe that's a reason to let him go. But if the players like Joe Judge, which they a lot of them do, and he's you know, spoken their opinion, you've got to give him that third year just for the stability and the hope that the Giants do well. Because if you're letting go of Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, it's a new regime. It's a brand new regime once again, and that means you know guys getting traded and just a whole revamp and uproar. We're not even sure if a new GM is going to want Dave, uh, Daniel Jones as their quarterback, and Joe Judge can't back up Daniel Jones in, in that sense. So they have to keep that stability, and they got to keep this team together, I think, for one more year, even though they're 1-5. And, and looking at this upcoming Panthers game, you know, a Panthers team that's 3-3, three and three, they've lost three in a row, they have no Christian McCaffrey, it's not that great of a roster. The, the Giants should match up well in this game, and 
you know, they, they got to win this game to, to just, you know, help themselves out because they got the Chiefs the week after, the Bucks two weeks after that, and, you know, the Chargers two weeks to follow. So they got some tough games coming up. Yeah, that is, we've said it all, the whole whole year. Their schedule is rough. It's it's really rough, and that doesn't help. And just the just the injuries overall, you know, you, you do think about how successful they could be if all these injuries didn't happen. Um, and... And really, on paper, how good their their roster looked at the beginning of the year. It's I mean Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony. What what a combo is that? Really, that that really is something that has the potential to be special. And if all these injuries didn't happen, there there could be so much better. But for for years to come, you know. I think this should be the team that the Yankees, uh, that the Yankees, that the Giants topic, stick with. Though. Same topic. Feels like talking about the same thing. Yeah. Almost. But this, this should be the team that the Giants stick with. And I, I obviously the the front office moves and and a few moves on the offensive and defensive line. But if you can keep this team together, if Blake Martinez is healthy and. Saquon can stay healthy. So much good talent. Exactly. There's just... And it's not like there are other... There's just so much good talent. Why hasn't it come together? All the reasons we've mentioned, but injuries. What can you do? And it's and it's not like there are other 5-11 and 11 and 6-10 and 10 teams with Pat Shermer having like Alec Ogletree and, you know, B.W. Webb, just to name a few, some guys on defense that were just so bad. The Giants, really, when you look at their roster, it's so much good talent. And I feel like a big part of it is, yes, the unlucky injuries... And, you know, you know, yes, you point out Dave Gettleman in the front office, but also the chemistry of playing together for a while. These guys were just put together in the offseason and just thrown on a field together. It takes time. And, yes, I know, I know as Giants fans, I don't want, you know, I'm done with patience, but this team was just put together and they have so much talent. So you've got to give it one more shot next year with this roster. And Amari uh, Toomer, former Giants receiver, said, you know, this the state of the New York Giants is just so sad because of where they are. And that's why... Yes, we're not in playoff contention anymore, but it's time for Joe Judge and everything you mentioned. Prove your worth to this team for next year. Joe Judge has got to win some games here and there to show that he could be the coach because, yes, he speaks a good game, but he's got to put it on the field with the Giants. He's got it. Absolutely, and it's just something that I don't want over and over, this same thing. And I feel like as all New York fans, too, that's that's another thing. We just... We're just bred differently. Yeah. Like, in just the way we think about everything that goes on we want more. in all of these sports. We want more. We just expect so much more. And, you know, I do, I always wonder how much of an implication that pressure and the fans put on the teams to go and make these moves. A lot. I mean, I feel like there's no way the Yankees get Joey Gallo if it weren't for all the pressure put on by the fans. Yeah. Um, fans, fans can be good, but at the same time, they can be at the, at the same time they can be. And I feel like with this Giants team, they've really been a burden because they have. There's football. There shouldn't be as big of a clock on on a team's success as is being put on by the Giants right now. Yeah, and we're in, and that's one thing that as a fan I got to get better at because I want the Giants to be good right now, and they have the roster to do it, but. Yes, these guys were just put together on a team. It, it, it takes time. It really does. Like, look at the Jets. I mean, they're New York, too, but I, I consider them a bit of an outlier. How, how patient are these Jets? It's, it's good. It's a good thing how patient these Jets fans are being right now. Well, some of them are just quiet because they've been <laughs> bad for so long. Exactly. At least that's, the Giants in the playoffs, you know, that's 2016. True. Yeah, but Giants and Yankees, both in situations that are just so similar. Fans expect more, and me... Uh, Eli and I will definitely be talking about this for the rest of the semester and the year to come about the Yankees and the Giants. We'll see how their fortunes change. But that is it for episode number four of the Big Apple Sports Talk Show. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman with you on VIC Radio. Enjoy your day, everybody. Hey, besties. If you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. 
VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding healthcare. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow IC Generation Action on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? IC Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director.